When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The college football playoff selection committee has shocked us all with its ranking of LSU. Just how far it dropped Tennessee. And is there hope left for the ACC? Let's go. It's the number one college football show. Folks, it's RJ Young. I am not on a step note. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts on this live college football playoff reaction show going into the final week of regular season play. And boy, do we have some things to chat about, which normally, you know, I would make some hay about us not having much to talk about. But the CFP committee said, hey, RJ, we're going to fill up your rundown with these rankings. Now, it's chalk at the top. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Michigan. And number four, Texas Christian. Nobody lost last week. Most of those games were clunkers. Even Texas Christian had to come from behind to beat a Baylor team that might be at best mediocre, but that stays the same. Then we get a little bit spicy. All right, number five is LSU. Number six is USC. So I'm really interested to find out what the reasoning is for ranking LSU ahead of not just USC, but others as well. But let's stick with LSU for starters here. LSU has a loss against Florida State, right? But it also has a loss against Tennessee. And not only does they have a loss against Tennessee, they got absolutely thumped, destroyed, smashed at home in Baton Rouge by Tennessee. We're also talking about an LSU program that has as many losses as Tennessee, right? So I get that you want to reward LSU for beating up on Alabama, but not for nothing, Tennessee beat Alabama too. Those two things ought to cancel out each other. Now, you want to make an argument with me about perhaps putting Alabama ahead of maybe, maybe Tennessee, maybe? I would give that to you because that game was close and it was in Knoxville. But this cannot... This cannot stand, man. Like, th this cannot stand. This aggression will not stand, all right? I get it. We're all in on what Brian Kelly has been able to build in a very short amount of time at LSU. And goodness me, is Harold Perkins, 840, absolutely getting after folks. But they were in a dogfight with Arkansas not two weeks ago. And also, Arkansas was in a dogfight with Missouri State, all right? Like, we're... I'm saying here, if we're going to look at who you beat and how you beat them and who you lost to and how you lost to them, there's no way that you could put LSU at number five, especially ahead of USC. Now, y'all are familiar with me. You know that I rocks with the Oklahoma Sooners. You know that I am a very big proponent of Lincoln Riley and what he has done. Now, I'm going to grant you, USC does not have outstanding wins on his resume. As a matter of fact, 
you might make the argument that USC's best win to date is against Oregon State, who's in the middle of having their best season in a decade. But let's put that on the shelf for a second. You're at a 17-14 game against Oregon State. But they got one fewer loss than LSU. And frankly, they are not undefeated because they've lost at the buzzer against one, a good Utah team. But then they come back and they beat a really great UCLA team, 48-45. So that would be another outstanding dub for them. Their quarterback put up 470 yards through the air. He put up 500 yards of offense by his damn self. And they're doing that without tailback Travis Dye, who I would argue is the second most important player to the USC offense next to Caleb Williams, right? I'm telling you all of this because I'm trying to set you up for where we're going to end up talking about Tennessee. But this game, if you want to ding the Bruins for it, fine. Mostly people are still upset that they lost to Arizona. And that's mostly what I'm getting from a lot of how we're discussing these things. We're more enthusiastic about who you lost to rather than who you beat, right? Which is a way of getting from there to what we think are the seven teams left in the college football playoff race. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Texas, Christian, except to say Ohio State and Michigan is going to find its way to getting one of those teams at least outside of the top four. Uh, with the game this weekend, right? This is not to say that we want to minimize the game. It is to say that the conversation about two big teams getting in and or which one of those teams falls and how far, that comes on Sunday. Right now, let's just focus on they're going to play and they're going to figure that out for themselves. Talk about Texas Christian, who has made it their job to play with fire in almost every game they have played since stomping out Oklahoma. Like they, they, they basically said, now, we're, we, we want to turn up the difficulty on this one, all right? We don't want the handicap. We want to show people that we are a second-half team, if that's how you want to spin it. They also have a Braille's Award semifinalist and Garrett Riley. That is Lincoln Riley's little brother doing an outstanding job calling the offense for the Texas Christian Horn Frogs. They got an Iowa State team that they got to play this week that, frankly, can beat them. And it's not because Texas Christian is that bad. It's because Iowa State, not unlike Nebraska last year, is that good with a losing record. It is a tough physical football team and Matt Campbell is going to have those boys ready to go against the team that is going to play in the Big 12 championship no matter what happens this year but that gets me back to this point of they're undefeated wouldn't many of us want to see Texas Christian number four if they weren't probably not and you know full credit to TCU Horn Frogs they know how this goes they know if you leave it up to the committee they're going to do what they did just now which is bought a team to number five that shouldn't be there in LSU you're going to try to give that spot to a brand right? Rather than the team that's good. We all know LSU won the 2019 national championship, but what the committee doesn't seem to understand or care about is that this is a doggone damn near overall football team with two more losses than that 2019 team, all right? I just don't get it. USC's got to take care of business this weekend because if they lose to Notre Dame, I don't think they're getting in, dog. Like, that's the other part about this. The committee has said to USC, no, you better win out. And you better hope that you went out in a way that makes us forget that LSU is playing Texas A&M this week and then playing in the SEC championship game, right? Now, that's another way of putting this. You're giving more credit to USC by saying, no, I think they can beat Notre Dame and I think they can beat whether it's Oregon or not in the Pac-12 championship and finish as a one-loss team than you are saying LSU can beat Georgia. However, they have set it up to where if LSU does beat Georgia, you're going to have some real problems here because we're going to be talking about an LSU team that frankly does not need to be in the college football playoff 
at all, given what we have seen so far from these other four teams. And that's how we get back to that Big Ten, two teams getting in. But as we get further down the list, looking at Clemson, right, who checks in ahead of, well, ahead of a Tennessee team, I got a hard time putting them ahead. I get the two losses versus one, so I'm probably going to let that slide. But as I'm also looking at this, Notre Dame beat Clemson, right? Notre Dame beat North Carolina. So Notre Dame's got a win against the ACC champ. That's kind of fun, but that's not re- really what they're harping on here either. Because if you look at the, uh, at the rest of the rankings, you'll see that Notre Dame is down there around 15. And I'm just going, what are we respecting here? Are we respecting that Clemson won a national championship two in the last five years? Or are we respecting what Clemson has shown this year, which is that it doesn't have the generational quarterback that we thought that it did, that the defense is better than we thought it would be, and that the ACC really is that watered down. And we know this because North Carolina lost to Georgia Tech last week. Okay, folks? Like, we, we, we get it now. The ACC does not need to have its champion in this playoff this year. But we're also in a position where Clemson could backdoor itself into the playoff, given what might transpire to the teams in front of them. Now, two out of these seven teams, including TCU and USC, have not played in the college football playoff ever. And I would very much like to see a new team in the playoff having the same opportunity to get in the dunker spot that everybody else does, like Oklahoma, and get, you know, dunked on by Georgia. Now, if it's USC, it's familiar territory for Lincoln Riley, who maybe he's going to come out of that four spot if they give it to him at the end and shock us all, you know, by not squib kicking against Georgia. I ain't forgot that I'm holding on to. I'm holding on to that one forever. Like that, we're up two scores against Georgia in that game. Now, Lincoln and the boys get an opportunity to go in one way or another, try to avenge that if they get to that four spot. And Texas Christian is just the best story that is remaining in this season, among some great stories, right? Texas Christian is undefeated. And the first time that they have been 11-0 since they last went 13-0 in 2010 and won the Rose Bowl. This time, they got a shot to play for a national championship if they just keep up their end. Beat Iowa State, beat Kansas State or Texas, depending on which one does what this weekend in the Big 12 championship game, and they can't keep you out the way they did in 2014. And that is still raw in Fort Worth. They know that it was them, Baylor, and Ohio State for that four spot. And the committee did what it has done tonight. They rewarded the brand. Now, Ohio State made everybody look good by going and win the national championship that year. But if you are a Horn Frog, you like to think that, hey, put us in that spot with our team, we probably go do the same thing because that's how loaded it felt for Texas Christian, what Gary Patterson had been able to put together in that 2014 season. All right, so number three, Michigan. Number two, Ohio State are playing for a spot in the Big Ten Championship game and a spot in the playoff this weekend. I want to touch on this ever so briefly by just saying, where's the Michigan running game going to go? Okay, so at first I'm thinking, Blake Corum seems to think he's okay, so he'll go. And then you start looking around and you're asking people that know, hey, he and or Donovan Edwards might not be able to go this weekend for Michigan. And then Jim Harbaugh came out playing the charm offensive, which is not necessarily what we know Jim Harbaugh for doing, especially the week of the game. Now, we saw what C.J. Stokes is able to do at tailback, and it wasn't a whole hell of a lot last week in a game that they had to grind out to win against Illinois. They've got a walk-on tailback behind C.J. Stokes that they're probably going to have to give carries to if Corum and Edwards can't go. I asked this question over the weekend. I thought it was fairly obvious, but I wanted to hear your answers on the Twitters. Is Michigan a college football playoff team without Blake Corum? To which most people said no. Now, 
The counter to that is remove any Heisman caliber player from their team, and they're probably not a college football playoff team. However, I would say that's not necessarily true with the team they're going to play this weekend in the game. C.J. Stroud is in position to win a Heisman Trophy. Uh, This also gives me an opportunity to go tell you to read my profile about C.J. Stroud on the Fox Sports app. What I'm saying here is the guys behind C.J. Stroud are also good. Kyle McCord can sling it. So can Devin Brown, all right, if they got to go do that. And you've seen enough of Kyle McCord over the last two years to know, yeah, it's going to be in really good hands when C.J. gets drafted in the first round in April. And then behind him, you've got tailbacks and tailbacks and tailbacks. Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, at one point or another, have not been healthy this year. One of them has had to pick up the other. And when they can't do it, we're talking about other guys like Chip Trainum and true fresh, uh, true freshman Dallin Hayden, who's coming on the way that Trey Sermon did in 2020. He had an outstanding game in a game where they needed his presence against Maryland, carrying the load, 27 rushes, 146 rush yards, and a tutty. I'm saying that Ohio State is a deeper football team, at least offensively, than Michigan. And Michigan is going to have to lean on its offensive line to try to stop the Buckeyes. And guess what? The Buckeyes are ready for that because for damn near a year, their toughness has been questioned. And they are still smarting from this game. Matter of fact, former OC at Michigan, Josh Gaddis, had said after really running up and down the Buckeyes in Ann Arbor, they're a finesse team. They're not a tough team. And the Buckeyes had to hear that. Now, Knowing what I know about folks from Ohio and particularly the folks that root for Ohio State, there's a lot of things you can put at their feet. But to say that they ain't down to get dirty and rough with you is an affront. And to get it from the guys that straighten up their Windsor knots, that's something that just cannot stand. Again, this aggression will not stand, dude. So I'm very excited to see what this game does in the shoe when you know Ohio State wants that crown back and you know that they're smarting from the way they got beat. Because Michigan is a team that is going to line up and run inside zone on you. Or they're going to run these gap schemes and say, if you can stop it, great. Nobody's been able to do it just yet. Illinois got close. And without Blake Corm picking his spots there or Donovan Edwards to home run hit for you, it's going to be very interesting to see for me. Now, next question we have in regard to this playoff is, you know, USC, can they win their next two games? Now, now, all right, let me, let me, let me walk this out. It's not that we expect them to lose their next two games. It's that I and others are coming to bat for USC, saying you deserve to be ranked ahead of LSU, all setting us up to either lose to Notre Dame or lose in the Pac-12 championship. And that would suck because, like, frankly, Notre Dame is the fly in the ointment for the playoff, okay? Let me walk this out for you. Notre Dame opens its season as a number five team in the country against Ohio State in the shoe. They lose 21 to 10. It was one of the closest games the Buckeyes had played up until a couple of weeks ago. And we were all thinking, okay, Notre Dame will be okay. And then they weren't. You take that loss to Marshall in Marcus Freeman's home opener, and I and others not only are making fun of you putting money in the bag, we're going, what the hell is going on with Notre Dame? And then Tyler Buckner goes down, and we want to write him completely off. But here comes Drew Prine coming in to steady an offense that pivots to running the football and running the football really well. And all of a sudden, they start stacking up some wins that impress the hell out of us, right? They're playing BYU. They're playing Clemson. They're playing, or they got a win against North Carolina earlier in the year that now looks really good that North Carolina is a nine-win team. So I'm looking around. I'm saying they played Notre, uh, Notre Dame played Ohio State close. They beat the ACC champ. And now they have an opportunity to, quite frankly, knock off 
the Pac-12 champ because USC has clinched a spot in, in the Pac-12 championship. So Notre Dame could end up with two wins against conference champions and a loss to Ohio State, which is also how we get back to the two Big Ten teams getting in. Say Michigan goes and beats Ohio State. Proves that this isn't a fluke. Then you got to have that conversation about how good is Ohio State if Notre Dame is able to go beat these other conference champions. So I'm interested in that, but it would be peak USC to get to the Pac-12 championship, play in Oregon, and then get beat by Oregon. And us looking at Oregon going, where the hell was this against Washington? You know, uh, could you have shown a little bit more fight against Georgia? Maybe we would forget about it and treat you like LSU. But since you don't play in the SEC, we don't do that. Or at least the playoff doesn't do that. Because that's the other thing that's coming clear to me as I keep going down the list of who's in and who's out and what teams they play for. It's the SEC versus everybody. Like, that's how the playoff is doing this. They're just deciding, if you play in the SEC, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt in a way that we probably shouldn't. All right. After that question, it would be very interesting if TCU won out to see if they could move up. So, way I look at this. Let's say Texas Christian beats Iowa State by 40. Okay? And let's say they play Texas or Kansas State in the Big 12 championship and beat them by 40. Is Texas Christian... A top three team after that, or are they stuck, or excuse me, a top two team after that because Ohio State or Michigan would lose. Uh, but would they be vaulted into two? Would they be able to get that two-three matchup? Would it matter for them? Because I don't I don't envision a place where Georgia being undefeated, Texas Christian gets to one. I just don't see it happening, right? Uh I the way that Georgia beat up on Tennessee and is beating up on the teams we care about is absolutely worth putting them at number one. But if you catch them slipping or they play a bad game against LSU or Lord help them lose to LSU. Then we got to start talking about the only undefeated team, not named Ohio state of Michigan, right? Where do they rank? I think that's an interesting question that we'll be able to know the answer to as we get closer and closer to conference championships. And certainly after those, all right, rest of the top 25 real quick. I've been saving up on Tennessee for a little bit because I think the college football playoff selection committee has broken its own protocol. Okay. So I like you. Watch South Carolina hang 63 on Tennessee's skull at Williams-Brice Stadium. I, like you, saw Hendon Hooker go out of the game late, down 18, and ruin his career and his season with a blown ACL, right? I wrote about that at Fox Sports as well, basically trying to put into some sort of picture, some analysis around not just what Hendon Hooker was, done, was doing, but what he and Tennessee had done together. And in looking at this ranking, I can only assume that the selection committee decided to rank Tennessee at 10 because Hendon Hooker is hurt. And that is against their own protocol. They are supposed to take what had happened last week and put it into a snapshot for this week. They are not supposed to predict what they think is going to happen, i.e. Tennessee being a, a worse football team because Hendon Hooker is no longer playing, which also makes Vanderbilt feel some kind of way because Vanderbilt is writing – Quiet as is kept, a two-game win streak against SEC opponents with a win against Florida last week, the same Florida that beat Utah, the same Utah that is pretty damn good at playing in the Pac-12. But more than that, I think this is Josh Heupel and Joe Milton's opportunity to really put everybody on front street. If you're a Michigan fan, you know about Joe Milton. You know that the talent is there and the athleticism is there. It's about being able to do it consistently and not give the ball to the other team. When he's had opportunities to play at Tennessee, it's been up and down, but you could see that if Josh Heupel can teach that dude how to be accurate down the field and to take advantage of his ridiculous physical traits, they're a monster. As a matter of fact, I don't 
see how Joe Milton doesn't play well in this game and in their next game and doesn't end up getting looks from NFL teams that you would never expect him to get looks from because he's just that talented. And I would put it this way. Joe Milton is a more talented quarterback than Hendon Hooker, but Hendon Hooker is a better quarterback than Joe Milton. So you start the better quarterback. But I also think this is really taken out of context what Tennessee has done and what that offense is able to do. Because, yeah, the quarterback stirs the drink. We all know this. This is why the Heisman Trophy is a quarterback-driven award. But you have a Bulletinikoff Award finalist out there in Jalen Hyatt who also came on very strong. When Byron Young is on his game, the defense is on their game. When Jabari Small can run the ball effectively, they do whatever they want at Tennessee, and they don't need a whole hell of a lot of time to go score. So you're going to drop them to 10 behind two teams they beat. LSU, which is ridiculous, right, at number five, and then Alabama at number seven, to which, does the scoreboard even matter? Yeah, it matters in as far as who you lost to, not who you beat. And I thought that, you know, one of the things that we all wanted to do in this sport was talk about who you beat and how good you are as opposed to who you didn't beat and how bad you are. As a matter of fact, one of the first things that I had to learn when I got to this Yankees job is, hey, man, lean into the stuff that's cool. And Tennessee is cool. Like, they beat Alabama for the first time in the Nick Saban era. They started the college football playoff rankings at number one for the first time in the college football playoff era. And because they lost to South Carolina, the college football playoff selection committee has taken it out on them that they once ranked them at number one. I think that says more about the suits in that boardroom than it does about those kids playing at Nayland. And I am saying this as a person that, you know, my cousin is a Rocky Top fan uh our senior producer Catherine Donnelly is a Rocky Top alumna but I've been real skeptical of what Tennessee is capable of doing or not doing and I've fallen in love with them too right I really enjoyed watching what Josh Heupel has been able to do and watching how a program that has been through it like absolutely been through it is having a good time and all of a sudden they lose to a South Carolina team that that is better than its record where Spencer Rattler has uh, a Bruce Leroy moment I mean, he's like 81% completion percentage, 438 yards, and six tutties. And we can't celebrate that. We have to talk about how bad Tennessee is. That just, that bothers me. And I hope that, you know, Tennessee does what they normally do to Vanderbilt. No disrespect to Dan- Vanderbilt, but y'all can afford the loss. Y'all can afford anything. You go to Vanderbilt. That's, that's the point. But I'm also looking for Joe Milton to say like, okay, this is what you think of us? Cool. Let us put this on our backs and let's go what we do in our final regular season game and then see what everybody else does. Because Lord help LSU if they lose to Texas A&M this week. Because Texas A&M is bad. Talented, but bad. Right? And then if they get beat down by Georgia, everybody just says, oops, our bad. We'll just drop them. As opposed to they never should have been here in the first place. Last thing to go out on here is I'm looking at these rankings and I'm seeing Washington is ranked at number 13 and Kansas State is ranked at number 12. All right. Who is Kansas State's best win? An Oklahoma State team that got dunked on, right? That they dunked on and then got dunked on by a five and five Oklahoma team, right? Got beat by TCU. Now I'm looking at what Washington has done and they have back-to-back wins against ranked opponents in their own conference. Matter of fact, they are the Oregon State champs, right? Quiet as is kept. That's that's pretty cool. Kalen DeBoer is rewarded with a contract extension and he ain't even through the first year of his contract. That's how good it's been at Washington. And I think that needs to be respected. But somehow, we're going to put Washington behind Kansas State based on what? Losing to Tulane? I mean, yeah, if you think that Tulane is that good, then rank them higher. Because that's a two-loss team. 
right? I, I just, I can't see their wisdom in any of this. And I want to, I want to understand. But these rankings don't leave me any room to talk about anything other than what you did wrong here. Now, going into this game also, I find that it's interesting that Oregon's at number nine and Oregon State is at number 21. And Oregon State's a good football team that, frankly, nobody knows about because they haven't been playing on national television that much. And they had seven different th- dudes throw passes this year. They run an offense for a middle linebacker sometimes. It's kind of fun to watch them. I'm interested to see what they can do against Oregon. But I hope that the players don't take this as personally as I do because you would come to think that there's nothing you could do outside the SEC than play in the SEC, right? But hopefully they'll go out and they'll just play games and we'll see where they land. I'm excited to watch Ohio State and Michigan this week. I'm excited to watch Kansas, Kansas State. Matter of fact, Kansas State has to beat Kansas to get into the Big 12 championship. But if they do not and Texas beat Baylor, Texas could end up in the Big 12 championship. So there's lots to play for and lots to see here. And I'm excited about all of it. And I can't wait to talk about it with you late Saturday night and into Sunday as we get into our conference championship previews and conference championship week. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Chaz Boulay. That is Gabe Gross-Sable, who is taking us live. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Thursday when I talk with Jeff Schwartz about the biggest games of the week. Deuces. <laughs>